Welcome, everybody, to the Examiner Interview Podcast. My name is Michelle Shruti Kowal, MW, and I am part of the education team. And with me is Neil Tully, MW, who is the overall chief examiner. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. Neil, we're going to here to talk about the 2021 exam, and I think you know we can't go into it uh, without talking about the fact that we were just thrilled the exam took place. Uh, really happy uh, with the effort that everybody put in and compliments to the entire staff in the office. Uh, we had a number of different venues. We had a huge amount of MWs that stepped up and helped invigilate. Um, it was just a major achievement considering what was going on in the world. And I think not least that, that it was a completely moving target and that behind the scenes, the planning was having to change all the time. And yet we had to focus on delivering an exam at a number of new venues that had never been used before. We had to ask MWs to assist in invigilation. There's a terrific number of people who were able to pull the whole thing together against, as I say, quite a moving target um, in order that we could bring the exam to as many candidates as we possibly could. And I think those seven centres amongst them did a terrific job in order to make the exam available. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to thank the examiners because you had to mark in a very compressed time frame uh, in order to get the results out so we could actually, you know, have our, our awards ceremony and we could actually finish something in 2021. So a real shout out to the exam team as well. You guys did a pretty amazing job considering. You know, I think the last two years, one thing everyone has learned is that, that things are constantly changing. Um, schedules have to be altered. Um, some of our examiners, a lot of them are obviously wine industry professionals. They have busy lives. And as with our candidates, it hasn't always been perfect timing, but um, we managed to, to make it happen. And it's important to know that the, the normal amounts of time were devoted to our marking process. Um, it didn't have to be rushed. We were able to allow our examiners to spend as much time with those papers as they would do in any other year. That's good to know. Okay, let's start the discussion with uh, 2021 exam results. Uh, let's talk about overall pass rates. So the theory pass rate for 2021 was 20%. Um, and that was a little bit lower. So we had 32% in 2019 and around 32, I think it's 31 and a half in 2018. Um, for the practical pass rate, we know it was lower than normal. So it was 8% uh, in this year in 2021. And that's compared to 15 in 2020, uh, pardon me, in 2019 and 14% in 2018. So that part is lower as well. Overall comments about thoughts about the pass rates this year? Well, as you can probably imagine, it's been a fairly major preoccupation um, trying to understand the logic for this. I think on theory, as you say, um, pass rates have been a reasonably stable 30 or so percent. So 20 is a significant um, drop. And perhaps on um, practical, the drop's even more significant. I think there are a number of things and we shouldn't underestimate the impact of the global situation. It's very difficult to get down to the very fine detail because everybody's lives one way or another have been disrupted, whether it's our professional lives, our businesses, our families. And I think it has an impact on everything. And it's very difficult to quantify that because it will be different for every single one of our candidates who was in the exam room. But I do believe that will have had 
some impact somehow on the way people face this exam. It's a it's a, an exam at our level is a challenge at the best of times, and we've lived through a very very complicated few years. And I think it's very difficult to quantify the level of that, but I don't think we should be blind to it. We had a smaller number of students across the board in the exam room. So when we analyze statistics, I think it's worth knowing that we were about 40% fewer candidates than we might have in a typical year. That means normally there might be 150 people sitting in the exam around the world. This year we had 100. So already we're working with a slightly different set of, 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 of figures. We also had a larger number of students sitting in the exam for the very first time. Um, and I think significantly 45 people sitting practical were doing this for the first time ever. So understandably, we had no exam in 2020. So there was probably a, um, a, an understandable need to want to be in an exam room. Uh, but statistically, we know, for example, in practical, that first time attempts are not always successful. So it does begin to give a little bit of logic and meaning. And I think the fact that both theory and practical were down um, is, in a weird sort of way, is reassuring. I think if we'd had one sticking with normal historic norms and another significantly down, that would have said it was more to do with perhaps the exam itself rather than the prevailing conditions. So I think it's it, there isn't a simple explanation to this. And um, I think um, it, I could probably extend this thinking a little bit to say, Perhaps we noticed on theory it was the papers four and five which were less well um, executed. And they're the ones that often depend on critical analysis um, ideas. And I think it's those exchanges of ideas that have been somewhat more difficult to develop during a, a pandemic where a lot of stuff is lacking face-to-face -face interaction. Gathering data, gathering information, maybe the stuff of papers one, two, and three theory has been relatively less complicated. And likewise on practical, the lack of face-to-face -face interaction, simply the ability to taste in groups and to have the, the nuanced discussions that are so important to evolving um, a skill in, in, in tasting, let's not pretend that, that that becoming very, very difficult for two years isn't going to have an impact. I think it's, it's a really interesting thought because I'm a big fan of when you are in a room, particularly with tasting, listening to other students and their answers, you learn so much. It's quite a collegial yeah. effort when you are in a tasting room. And although I know we had Zoom, people are on Zoom, it's very hard to have a group discussion on Zoom and to have that interaction. Um, I mean, paper one for, for practical only was, was the, the, the stumbling block. And, you know, picking up on your point, um, lack of exam practice, do you think it was, and, and, and I'll say this because paper, papers two and three on practical seem to have normal passing rates. Um, do you think it was just not being in time situations, not not having that that sort of anxiety exam? I've got to get it in time. Do you think that had something to do with it as well? Just possibly, just possibly. And I think in the slightly weird world we're living, that just dials up the anxiety, and maybe that that did have an impact. I don't think the paper itself was any more complicated than any other, and 
the examiner's meat, we, um, a number of us taste it blind after the, the, the panels have prepared the questions and selected the wines. So um, we're really happy that it is at the correct level for the exam. So I don't believe it was in any more complex paper to answer. So therefore we would be looking to find answers around maybe the circumstances. Mm. Okay, I think, that, I think that's, a, that's an interesting thought. And I think just the fact that I'm sure many people aren't aware that you and the examiners actually do the tasting and do it blind and do it in time. I think people either, if they didn't know it, they know it now, or um, if they did, they maybe forgot about it. And I think that's important to know that those are benchmark, that there are people other than students that will actually put themselves through the exam. I've been through it for stage one before on the, on the practical. Um, and I do know that, that examiners do do that as well. So can we talk about one of your comments on the examiner's report about non-passing grades lower across the board? Can you go into that a little bit for me? Yes, it's very um, natural to want to focus on our pass rates, but that really means we're not thinking or talking about anything below 64%. And I think, again, to give a better understanding of, of the exam in 2021, um, it is good to understand the um, the non-passing grades, and a metaphor that is, has been in my mind throughout this is, is the MW candidate iceberg that it would be probably reasonable to say is sitting a bit lower in the water last year. And I hope that, um, again, supports the idea that it's not just about fewer passes, it's about grades generally being a little lower than we might normally expect to see. So is that it? We'd say lower in the water. The overall average grade was lower than what you have normally seen in 2019 and then 2018. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Can we? That that kind of brings up the issue of boundaries. So it's mm. unfortunately boundaries are are tied up in this. And I know I've heard lots, and from MWs themselves, I've never seen an F before. I can't believe there's an F. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, there, there's a lack of kind of understanding, and 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 obviously it wasn't meant to happen in the same year. But you have changed uh, the boundaries. So I know you've written about it in the exam report. If people do get through it, you've actually very specifically put a grid in there. But can you go over the boundaries for me? So we know a pass is 65 and above. So that's considered a, a B, I believe. Correct. So um, in 2020, we took a look at the um, grade boundaries. Um, there were certain anomalies and also um, the theory and practical grade boundaries I think it's important to be aware and not the same for very good reasons. However, the D grade on practical was a, a big, a big um, group of nearly 10%, 9%, um, from 45 to 54. The other boundaries were 5% boundaries. So therefore, any candidate with a D grade wouldn't know just how close they were to a C or how close they were to an E. So in order to really help people understand a bit better their progression, as hopefully those grades improve if they're sitting the exam on multiple occasions, we decided to make the, the D boundary only 5%, therefore bring the E up and with that introduce an F in order that we had a slightly better calibrated set of grades with 5% intervals 
in order that a candidate can get a better reflection of just where they sit on it. So comparing pre-2021 boundaries with them currently, it can give a false impression of the result. And that shouldn't be mistaken for lower lower uh, grades across the board. It's really important, I would urge anyone to have a careful look in the student guide at those grade boundaries, because they're designed to better reflect exactly where people are sitting on that scale right now. So in other words, if you did get a D, the new grades will tell you whether that's actually further away from a pass, because it could be now what's classified as an E. Exactly. Okay. So. Okay, and then a D, and a D boundary is quite a bit narrower, and you can then you can see how close you are to a C. No, I mean it's a very, very, very good reasons for it. I think it was just a shock because we never had an F category before, and now we have an F category. So, so I know there's been a few eyebrows raised about that. Um, I think what I'd like to spend uh, time in this interview because you know, as as everybody is aware, I. There, are, there is going to be interviews with the head of practical, the head of theory, and each of the paper chairs. So with you being the overall examiner, what I'd like to spend time on is for people to understand the exam process. I think there is a lack of understanding of the rigor of our process. And I think I want to give MWs, students, everybody a really good understanding of of, of, of what, uh, what their piece of paper goes through. So if you can bear with me, Neil, let's take paper one. So paper one, practical, 12 wine, white wine. I've written my paper. It, it gets collected. It goes in. What's the next step? Who does it go to? Okay. So first of all, I should, should make the point that every single candidate sitting our exam is a number. And they are only known as numbers until after the results are decided. So no examiner, not even I, will know what those numbers mean. So we're only handling numbers. We've no idea who is who. That's vitally important. So those papers go out to a set of examiners, both for our practical and theory. Um, should we talk first of all about practical maybe because- Yeah, let's do paper one practical, the 12 white wine paper. Processes are a little, a little different on the two. So sure. worth spending the time to outline this. All our papers are what's called double blind marked. By that, I mean that two examiners will mark each paper. The examiners do not know who each other are. They will know there is another examiner, but they will not know who that other examiner is. And they will mark those papers according to a pre-agreed um, standard, we'll calibrate the marking ahead of that beginning so that the examiners know what good looks like, they know what bad looks like, and they know what the middle looks like so that they have a reference point. Can, can I just ask you, is somebody tasting the wines on the day? Yes. Okay. So, so you have somebody else also. I know you've done it ahead of time to calibrate, but somebody is tasting it on the day as well to see what it's showing on the we day. A panel of examiners who will taste the wines at the same time that the exam is taking place. Okay. And we also have uh, examiners who will come in blind and taste those wines as well. So that if something's maybe not looking as we might want it to, we will acknowledge that we'll be aware of it. So there's okay. very detailed note taking around how the wines look on the day. On the day. So that so your 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 standard or your grid, your marking grid is adjusted. Totally. Then again according to the day. Okay, go ahead. So my paper one, my 12 wine white wine paper is marked by one examiner. 
Yeah. And then after that's marked, it goes into a second examiner and gets remarked. They'll, they'll be marked in parallel at the same time, but um, they're marked gotcha. by two examiners quite separately, quite independently. They do not know who the others are. And across um, a practical or a theory paper, we have different examiners working on different questions. So there'll be multiple examiners. We'll come on to that in a bit more detail when we get to theory. So those marks are then put together and they'll be presented to the paper chair. So each of the papers, each of the three practical papers has a chair and they will review the marks that have come in from their markers. If there are any significant discrepancies, um, that will then be flagged up and they will relook at those papers and um, moderate if necessary. Okay, so you're saying if, if, if the examiners who marked my paper, one comes in with one mark and the other mark from the other examiners dramatically different, the paper chair for paper one will be looking at those. And then, so that will, that will be then remarked. Even if it's not dramatically different, if there's a... Okay. So that will be re-looked at and a mark will be moderated um, to go forward. Okay. Then the overall chair of the practical exam will Which look is Peter at Marks. Peter Marks will look at a candidate's performance on papers one, two, and three holistically. And again, if there are any significant um, divergences, and indeed if a candidate sitting on, a, on the borderline, on or close to the borderline, will then re-review those questions. They may go back to the paper chairs and ask for them to, to re-look. Normally we have a very good consistency of marking, but you know we have to have these processes in place to ensure that if for any reason um, there's divergence amongst the markers, um, it can be noticed and addressed. So if, if you, so if a candidate performed, let's say, B, B on one of the papers, C plus, C plus, you're telling me those C pluses will be looked at by the paper chairs? Yes. Is that a, is that, that's a possible situation? It, 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 will come, it will come to their attention, exactly. Okay. If someone did a D in one paper and then a BB, well, that, that, that again will be, it will be looked at it. as well. Certainly. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Do you get involved in this process? D does. Do you as the chief examiner? So we have Peter Marks. That's the overall for all three papers that will look at a candidate, as you said, papers one, two, three marks holistically, and we'll look at those and have a discussion with the paper chairs or however that's, does it then get elevated to you as the overall? Finally, yes, it does. But um, Peter, as, as a somebody who chairs our practical exam will come to me with a, with a full set of results. Um, and we can then look at any, if any anomalies still exist, they can be, they can be checked. So it could be referred to you if, if, if somebody has sort of an overall issue or question, let's mm -hmm. look at this candidate, let's discuss it. So it could possibly, then you're telling me go through one, two. So it could pass, it goes for sure through two examiners, each paper, it might go through a third, possibly a fourth. Correct, exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, five, in fact, because we've got two examiners, we've got paper chair, we've got the overall theory, uh, practical chair, and then... Oh, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right, five. Possibly if it goes to you, that's five. So that's a fair amount of people. So if we, if we say minimum one, two, three for each paper, so, you know, you're talking nine, nine examiners, 
involved Nuts. in one candidate's practical paper. Okay. Okay. So that's a, that's a fair amount of people looking at it. Fairly rigorous process, I can imagine. Um, let's talk about then theory. I know that's different. We have five papers on theory. So if we were to take, let's say, paper four, the marketing paper, mm. I've written paper four, I've written my three questions, it gets handed in, what happens? Again, you're a number. Everything is, again, double blind marked. The examiners will have calibrated their um, results initially. So again, have a good, clear idea of, of, of what, is, what is passing, what's not, what really good looks like. And they, again, will submit their final marks. They spend about a month with the papers. Um, it's, it's, um, you know, they have a lot of time to read stuff very carefully, um, to put together comments and notes, and then they can be forwarded. Um, the paper chair will review right across. Now, what, on theory, we always, pair up our markers. I think it's worth just um, talking a little bit about how the panels are made up on our theory exam, because I think this is a vital part of how MW works. We have specialist masters of wine on each of our theory papers. So there will be qualified enologists on paper two. There will probably be viticulturalists on paper one. We also have MWs for whom those are not their specialist fields. So I think it's important to know that we have a mix of markers on each paper, some who have very specialist knowledge, some who have, maybe they have knowledge in very different fields, but they're still masters of wine. And I think... Can I interrupt and ask why? Why, why do you have that combination of experts and MWs? This is the MW exam. It's not a degree in enology or in viticulture or specialist. We, of course, are very lucky to have that specialist knowledge within our body of membership, but the standard of the exam is set at MW level. So for that reason, having masters of wine who are maybe outside their day job fields is a very good way of ensuring that we're marking to an MW standard. And, and that's at the heart of what we're doing here. Um, and generally we'll pair up maybe markers. We might have a what I would call a normal MW plus maybe a specialist one looking at papers so that we've got quite a rigorous um, uh, approach to marking. Can I just ask about that? When you say pair them up, they're both going to mark together and discuss the marking together? Nope. Or is this double blind? When totally you double that? blind. The paper chair will, will select their markers. So what we don't want to do is have two specialists marking one paper because they might be pretty ruthless. Gotcha. Um, that would, wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't be MW. Um, so therefore, we're, um, the paper chairs are quite careful to select. They are the only people who know who the pairs are. So, right. And therefore, um, that's the composition of our marking pairs. So an individual paper will be marked, my paper will is double blind, and one of those examiners is a subject matter expert, and the other one has an expertise in another field other than that subject to have a balanced approach. Probably that's the way it would go. So on, let's say, theory paper four, um, you've got three questions. So there'll be six. Chances are you'll have six different markers looking at it, three pairs who may not be the same. They may or may not, but we have six markers on theory paper four. So it, it, it could be up to six markers looking at your papers. Wow, that's a lot. If you multiply it up, that means we've got 34 theory 
examiners. Wow. Um, and right, and potentially they could all be marking different parts of the essays um, and always independently of each other. So my paper four, I've got three essay questions I have to complete. And that my paper four is then marked by minimum six people. And if it gets referred to the chair of people four, chair of paper four, pardon me, then it could be marked by seven. Is that yeah, correct? Up to six. If there are any significant discrepancies, then the paper chair will re review it and it'll be moderated. Um, so yes, an additional examiner there. So this is why very quickly, somebody sitting the whole full, full exam could be in front of 40 to 50 examiners. Wow. Well, at minimum, you're talking to me, we've got five papers at minimum up to 30. We don't have as many questions for, for, for paper, paper three and paper five, but you know, we're talking close to 30 people involved in the theory portion, an individual student's theory portion of that exam, and then the paper chairs on top of that, and then possibly the overall theory chair. Yes, because as um, our exam rules are that we require people to pass in all parts of the exam. So therefore, it's really important that if, if a candidate is dipping under slightly in one part or another, that we can be very sure that those papers have been marked accurately and thoroughly. Um, and at the end of the day, we have to be able to say that nobody has failed who should not and nobody has passed who should not. So it's, it's a rigorous process and all the examiners work very hard to preserve that. Can I ask you, when it comes to a single paper reset, what determines that? Is that where the overall theory chair, which is Beverly Blanning, is that her? She gets everything in front of her and then looks at holistically, we talked about uh, the practical chair now has one candidate in front of them and looks holistically at their results in paper one, two, three. So I'm assuming theory works the same. There's a, there's a strict set of rules around what constitutes a single paper research. Um, but I think it's probably more meaningful to describe it by the spirit in which it's intended. You know, we all have bad days. We all have days where it all goes horribly wrong, but I may be an otherwise sound and good candidate. And the concept of the single paper reset was developed in order to allow somebody who maybe for one reason or another goes horribly wrong on one paper to come back the following year, reset that paper. And, but they will have demonstrated to us that they're an otherwise strong candidate. And therefore, it's been devised as a method that, that we don't want to, to beat people up and ask them to come back when they've already shown us they can do well on four of the five papers. So that's the spirit in which the single paper reset is intended. It's not intended to shoehorn borderline candidates through the exam, okay. because the worst thing that we would ever want to happen is somebody have to come back and then reset the whole exam again, having failed a single paper research. So um, it's, it's, and we are not aware of who those candidates are in the marking process. So their papers will go through the whole system alongside the others, unbeknownst to the examiners. And right at the very end, when I look at the final marking grids, we'll see there's somebody who's actually only submitted one paper, and then we know they were a single paper research. And, so if I can just sort of step back. So basically what you're saying is that for a single paper reset, it has to be a candidate who has done well 
in, in, in at least four out of five papers. And their one paper really sticks out as, as, as this, they, you know, something happened that day. So in other words, you're not pushing through people that, you know, C plus on paper one and C plus on paper two, and who were close. You're, You're saying this is somebody who was sort of B's and possibly B pluses and A's and one paper there. A D is is oh. that is that what you're or C? There's something that is. It's where something went notably wrong on one paper. Okay. And so you know, and it can really be if 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 there was a real real disaster on one question, it can sometimes unsalvageably take a paper below the pass mark. So, yeah. um, as I say, for everyone. I'm just going to say so. So in other words, a single paper reset is quite an anomaly. Really, really, but I think it's a. I think it's a. As I say, these things happen, and I think I'm. I'm happy that we have a system in place to rescue um, candidates where maybe that happens. So Neil, really interesting that the exam is seen by so many people. I mean, it's quite a rigorous process. So if I do my rudimentary calculations, if we're talking about practical. Two examiners per paper is six, and then a paper chair, one more each. So that's around nine. And then if the chief examiner gets involved, 10-ish, we'll see the practical paper. Uh, And significantly more if we're talking about theory, since we have five papers. So if I look at how many questions per each, so we're around, and paper chairs, we're around sort of 31 without it being looked at by uh, Bev Blanning, who is the head of theory. Does that sound about right? So I think you quoted 40. And if we add up the two, we're talking around sort of 42-ish. Up to 40 examiners are likely um, to be, any one candidate could be exposed and sitting the whole exam to up to those 40 examiners. I'd also say we've got a reasonably, really good geographical spread. We've got a a spread of of language usage, cultural backgrounds, specialisms, non-specialisms, um, experience and some, um, you know, relatively newer MWs. So there's real diversity amongst that body of examiners. So I think it's very difficult because of the anonymity. It's very easy for a picture to be built up in anyone's mind as to imagining the person pawing over their papers. Um, and I think it's it, it's good to be able to maybe just cast a little light on the, the shape and size of, of what are somewhat, um, uh, as I say, anonymous examiners really, really look like. Well, and, and I think it is really important. I think it's important that people understand it's not one single person's opinion. In, in fact, there's multiple people coming together, having sort of this discussion about a candidate and candidates. And it's easy to think that it's easy to, to, to sort of think that, you know, one person and, you know, it's one person's opinion. And actually it's not, it's quite a rigorous, I don't want, and collegial. I mean, I know examiners are very, very, not that I know who they are, but they're very, very collegial. It is a group process, you know, taking a look at it. And I know Peter Marks, you know, often says, and, you know, examiners want you to pass. They're desperately looking for, to give you marks. Would you agree with that? I could totally agree with it. And nothing makes us happier when we see a really well-executed tasting paper or well-written essays. And believe me, they are there. We sadly have to often focus on what went wrong, but there are some really, really fantastic papers being submitted. Um, And I think everyone's very happy when we get to see those. Okay, I think that's terrific. Final thoughts for students. I know you had talked to me about sort of quotas before and you wanted 
to talk about that issue. Yeah. Um, I think we're unlike many exams where we don't have a quota of passes. Um, one of the reasons we have to be very rigorous is there is a standard to be achieved to become an MW. And we all uphold that. Um, and therefore, it's terrifically important that that bar is very fixed. In theory, theoretically, everyone could pass the exam one year or nobody could. We don't take off a top X percent and say these are this year's passes. The pass rate is set at 65%. And that is, that is, that's the standard to become an MW. So um, it does mean a terrific amount of, of work to calibrate, to set that standard, for it to be rigorously checked, cross-checked and applied. So there is no quota. Um, and therefore, anyone passing the exam can feel absolutely 100% they have reached that standard. And that's totally central to what this qualification means. Okay, I think that's great. Final thoughts for students and who are studying 2022? Um, you know, I, I really don't think any attempt of this exam is wasted. Um, it's an important experience. Sometimes the outcome can feel a little negative or a little um, not what maybe everyone would hope for, but I do believe it's never, never wasted. It's always helpful in some way that may not be immediately apparent, but um, it all contributes to advancing that journey towards um, finally passing the exam. And I think let's not underestimate the headwind we've all been facing. And I think hopefully as we turn our back on the pandemic, we can see um, some, some, with, the, with the removal of that dragnet, hopefully we'll see some really great, great um, passes coming up. So you're telling me there is going to be a 2022 exam? We really, really, really want that to be. I know we do. I, I know that's, that's really important. I, I know we've all gone through sort of a mini sort of situation with COVID, but, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was really important to emphasize students last year that, you know, the Institute and the examiners are going to do any, everything possible to have that exam in 2021. And they did. And I think we've got the same will and desire uh, that we will be having an exam in 2022. It's vital to have that to focus on, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's terrific. Thank you very much, uh, Neil. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you and look forward to uh, doing it uh, again next year for 2022 Indeed. results. Quite right. Thank you.